Hello and welcome to the Brazilian BA guest. It's a pleasure to have you here celebrating 20 years of IIBA with the BA Jam. The BA Jam is a group of speakers who join themselves to talk about business analysis to celebrate this 20th anniversary of IIBA. Today, I have two guests. There are some of the best-selling books into this business analysis realm. I would like to invite you to join me, Mr. Howard Podespa and Yulia Kozarenko. Hello, folks. How are you? Great. Great to be Hi. here. <laughs> Let me be in the middle. And, and, and thank you very much for joining me. It's an honor to have you. For those who don't quite know Howard, he is the author of this book, The Business Analyst Handbook, and some other. There's a new edition about the Agile, I know. Uh, there's some other books. This is an older one, probably the oldest one. UML for the IT Business Analyst. Oh, that. Oh, that's the new, new one. Thank you. Thank you, Howard, for helping me. Oh, but don't I... forget the Portuguese one. <laughs> oh, that's even better. We live with one at least. I've got to pander to my audience here. Come on. <laughs> That's so available for Brazilians in Portuguese. I believe Yulia's book is not a, 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 in Portuguese yet. Not yet. When going? Yes. <laughs> I like the word. Not I got yet. a good translator for you. We'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> so thank you both of you for coming. So the idea of this show is to talk a, a, a little bit about business analysis, looking for the past, the present, and the future of business analysis. Usually in the Brazilian BA guest, I just have a question that's the name of the episode, but for today, I selected three different questions, one for each time. I would like to start with Howard, asking uh, a question about the past, and I will bring you this question for you, uh, Lady Yulia. The question is, what need were you trying to satisfy when you wrote your book, and I know you have several books, so you may choose one or talk about all of them. That's your choice. Okay, well, I'll do the three, but very quickly. Uh, the first one was UML for the IT business analyst. Uh, it was actually working with people like Yulia that actually made uh, got me to write that book uh, because she was working for a bank that was uh, one of my early clients way back in 2001 or so. And um, uh, uh, organizations like that were beginning to do iterative uh, incremental development. Uh, her company was using a rational unified process, if I remember correctly at the time. Um, and um, there was, uh, they were having a lot of trouble from the consultants that were, had developed those processes, in that case happened to be IBM, uh, to work out how the BA piece, how does the requirements process actually fit into that? Um, they were very good at the technical side, but they had a lot of trouble at that end. So uh, they brought uh, my company in uh, uh, to help and we set things up. But I found that as I was going around from company to company, this was a very common thing. Basically, how do you do a requirements process within an iterative incremental process? It wasn't re there wasn't a lot of attention being paid to that piece of the, of the pie. And so that's kind of where we specialize. So uh, when I saw this was a common thing, I thought, okay, well, someone's got to write a book. To basically uh, uh, put all those pieces together, I, had, I didn't see one out there, um, uh, particularly using the UML, which was a very common standard at that time for for that type of development. Uh, I didn't see anything that focused on the BA piece, so I wrote it just because it wasn't there. Um, the second book, the BA Handbook, I wrote because um, I found that um, many of my when I was going in to do training and coaching, people really were finding uh, cheat sheets to be really valuable like something quick, a quick reference where I can find questions I should ask when I go into such and such a meeting. How do I interpret a diagram? I need a template. And there just was no central reference where you could grab all this stuff. So I, I put it together and we just started handing it out to my clients and it just became something that they found so useful that I thought, well, I guess this should be a book. So that became a book. And the last one with the Agile Guide to Business Analysis and Planning, uh, I wrote because I was starting starting around 2013 or so, so this was a little bit later, um, right? Actually, even a little bit year earlier, I think it was around 2000 and uh, I did look at this, yeah, around 2013. I was starting to have clients who were doing wholesale, enterprise-wide, uh, agile transitions, 
uh, as opposed to just some forward-thinking managers in some department somewhere as it was back in the earlier days. And so the, the, the issues they were having were much broader than when I originally wrote the, the first book. Uh, and so I kind of rewrote the whole thing, you know, uh, uh, using all the latest techniques and, you know, looking at the broader question of business analysis in an organization that's wholesale transitioning to Agile. So I'd say uh, books one and three are basically guides. You, you can actually walk through the whole process and and do the job if you just follow through the book the second the book in the middle the handbook is a reference sort of like a encyclopedia of things that you need to know right uh, interestingly uh, i bring the question for you Yuri, but I, I i want to talk about the difference about using uml from your first book yeah and having a, a set of tips or or, or Let's say a library where you can get small stuff and uh, uh, easy to connect. Those are two very different yes. needs yes. that you try to solve in two different yeah. moments. The, the, the first one is really for somebody starting out uh, or somebody who's learned on their own but piecemeal to actually learn the profession. The handbook is more for someone who's already working and they just need a quick reference, right? Like, you know, I, I need this on the job and I, I need this reference material on the job right now. Um, so it's not really meant to be read, you know, cover to cover. It's meant to be referred to like an encyclopedia, whereas right. the other book is meant to be, and the newest book is are meant to be read cover to cover. Right. It, it, but I see that there was a change of how we did business analysis. That in the beginning, maybe how business oh, yeah. analysis is done today. When you had the, the UML, I will pass the, the, the question from Julia and then we can come back and, and, yeah. and bring yeah. it again. Uh, because I, I guess not just business analysis, but analysis in a wider perspective, yeah. use it to be in UML uh, uh, era, let's call it like this, yeah. uh, something uh, I think more structured, some form more uh, oriented to models and trying to connect different perspectives. And at some point, uh, I think that the approach changed. I don't know if you see it the same way, Julia, uh, I'll bring the, the, the question for you just before saying hi to Vince that's uh, yeah. uh, following us. Hello, Vince. Greetings for you as well. Okay. Uh, Marianne is always saying, saying some greetings from Canada. Floris is from Germany. Steve Jones is with us as well. Thank you guys for joining us. Make yourself comfortable about publishing your questions. Yulia, what do you say? Did the approach of business analysis from the past was too different from the approach of business analysis today? What do you see as a change? And interestingly, it was not planned when I invited you and Howard, but you have met on that time. Is that correct? Yes, yes, we met a long time ago. You know, when I think back to those years and I think back to now, I would say that definitely there is a big shift from business analyst being more of a systems analyst and IT analyst in the past. That was that was why business analysts use UML. Today, many junior analysts don't even necessarily know what it is, even though some parts of it could still be useful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, and in a way, part of it is a good shift because we do want business analysts to understand the business and to become business advisors. Part of it is where I sometimes wish business analysts weren't afraid to be a little bit more technical because it actually helps with understanding the design of the solutions and with being those trusted advisors. So I think we are shifting towards being more of you know journalists and researchers and interviewers and that also feeds into you know trying to be more iterative and maybe put in a little bit more responsibility on business on product owners but as was everything you you always have to balance it and not forget that you still have to be an advisor and a you know consultant in the best possible way because you know our clients are not always right. Sometimes they need a little nudge here and there. So I don't know if it answers your question, or models it a little bit. Oh, it's an interesting perspective. How yeah. how probably our attention shifted from system to business. And UML was designed initially to design systems, 
and now we are very more focused on business. And so probably other kinds of models may be more useful for us today, like business architecture models or business uh, model canvas, for example, which is very popular nowadays because it, it shifts the focus from systems mm -hmm. to business and trying to make this connection. Just I, I, to I, say... I would disagree a little, Fabrizio. I would disagree huh? a little bit. Oh, come on, come on. Um, this was actually... I, yeah, yes. I, I remember having this discussion right back when I actually was working at, at the bank where Yulia was way back then. Um, and it came up often when we talked about things like class diagrams, for example. It was a, a really good example just to get, I guess, into the weeds mm -hmm. here. And I never saw those diagrams from a business analysis perspective as being technical at all. Um, part of my um, uh, my incentive to write these books, and I would say even even bigger, my incentive in business analysis in general, was to take some of these tools that were, it's true, they had been developed in a technical sense, uh, but to bring them, to move them, uh, shift them left to move them to the beginning of the requirements process, because in truth, these tools are ways of understanding the world. They're not ways of understanding of building systems. You use them to understand the world, and then it just so happens also that they work out to be really good tools for developing, designing systems as well. And when you have one language across the whole, you know, across the whole life cycle, it's a great idea. So that was sort of, um, Part of the thought so i think for things for example like class diagrams actually help you understand business concepts really well in a way that and they help you business analysts ask questions that they might forget to ask if they weren't doing something like that um, activity diagrams it's true they're not actually being used a lot today but bpmn uh, workflow diagrams which is just another form of the same thing or even just more casual diagrams that are just more informal but again across the same thing widely used uh, state transition diagrams, I was just talking with a consultant yesterday uh, who's telling me how useful these diagrams are uh, in explaining to support staff, um, uh, to uh, product managers. Uh, in this particular case, it was like the different states of a ride when you have an Uber-like application uh, and how rides get canceled and how they move from one form to another. And it's basically just to ex explain how these business rules actually operate. So to me, uh, I'm still... Uh, advocating for them. Uh, I, I've seen that some of them have, you know, some of these models uh, have, you know, found, you know, uh, they, they, they've uh, become popular uh, and some have not been as popular as I would like to see in the BA sphere, but I'm still pushing for them uh, because yeah. I, think they have I think they still have great value. You know, I think they do. You know, if that makes you happier, I use those kind of diagrams. Yeah. You know, here's yeah. the story. A picture's worth a thousand words, right? If there's a thousand words worth saying. Yeah. And, uh, and the whole object-oriented analysis helps to, to understand the situation, to understand yeah. the business and not yeah. just coding. It's, it's no. analysis, not just no. coding. Let me give you one story and then I'm going to yield the floor here. I was working with a group in telecom and they were talking to me about this product group, this and product group that. And, uh, you know, and I didn't exactly know what they meant when they said product group. <laughs> and here's the thing probably Yuli can speak to the, the BA mindset. I asked the dumb questions that no one wanted to ask, which was, hey, every all you stakeholders, what the heck do you mean by product group? Uh, and then it turned out that there were two different uh, ideas about what they meant, two different meanings. Was it a telephone line, and everything attached to that? Or was it a package that we sell as a package to our customers, two very, very different concepts. I was able to work out the difference between those two by doing some modeling, some simple, you know, class diagram, class modeling. Uh, and it was through doing that that I actually was able to clarify what they meant. So that's the kind of thing I mean, that uh, sometimes they're a shortcut, actually, to... I, I think the big mistake was thinking in the early days that you had to do some huge, enormous, complicated model before anybody started doing any coding. That's not true. We do little bits at a time today, and that works out really well. Perfect, perfect. There's a question here from, I don't know who it is, but it's a LinkedIn user. Sometimes uh, the system doesn't recognize if you want to put your name there, uh, we know who you are. I see there's someone from, from, from as LinkedIn user from New Zealand. It's probably very late for you right now. Thank you for joining. And another LinkedIn user from Toronto, I don't know who made this question, but how would you explain to a client that it is okay 
that you can look at these diagrams. I find some PMs don't get it. And today, if we're talking about PMs, it may be project management. Right. Or it may be product <laughs> project management. Project, yeah. Angela Wick say they are great business tools when diagrammed with business language versus technical. So she's already giving us a, 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 a little bit of, of the explanation. Julia, do you want to, to, to take the lead? Uh, I always advocate for diagrams and for pictures, most definitely. So I'm always you. I think that it's all about the level of detail or level of abstraction or whatever you want to call it. If you talk to your business stakeholders, well, make them, as Angela says, business labels and stay at the high level and include a couple of attributes in your class diagram just for understanding. Because, you know, the worst thing happens, nobody realizes that this is not a one-to-one -one relationship. It's actually one-to-many relationship. And the whole system falls apart, right? And, and that's mm -hmm. where I say sometimes mm -hmm. it, it doesn't hurt for an analyst to be a little bit technical and understand what it means one-to-many relationship because it could be very fundamental. You don't discover it because you think it's too technical. Developers don't discover it because they rely on business analysts. And in the end, you're going to have big problems. So to me, diagrams, live modeling, you know, through all this COVID thing, I was, I was doing chicken scratch and PowerPoint on Teams and on Zoom and on everything. But it still works because it creates communication. And just, you know, to my own personal pet peeve, and I think you gave me a perfect lead into that, is I've heard many times, oh, we shouldn't bother business with all these diagrams. Oh, we have to keep it simple for our stakeholders. Oh, my God, don't put more than two slides and three bullet points because these are stakeholders. And I'm like, look, these are your executives. They are the smartest people you can find in the company. Sure, they can understand a simple use case business use case diagram or state transition diagram. It's all there. It's all labeled. It's actually much easier than you trying to write things. Exactly. So let's not underestimate our business stakeholders and think that they don't understand diagrams. It's just you as a business analyst and your skill in creating a diagram that makes sense, right? Okay. I, I, yeah, so true. I mean, um, we underestimate stakeholders all the time. These diagrams are really not that difficult to understand, uh, especially if you don't overload them with all sorts of, you know, obscure features that are rarely used. Uh, but like a simple state transition diagram that just shows you, like I was saying, this is the state of a ride canceled, uh, initiated, you know, uh, a sign. Um, and here's how they change. I mean, it's just people can follow arrows. It's not really that difficult. Yeah, it's design of their product, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I like that even even close from Australia is giving us a good tip. SBAs, we should be seeking to communicate with our stakeholders in ways that they can understand. Creating a model that may seem less intuitive to us may help bridge a gap to truly understand and engage with others. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Glenn. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 uh. Thank you, Ivan. And exactly as you said, Hart, a diagram is easier to understand than a lot of text. Yeah. Uh, Given so that, illustrates. Yeah, one thing I do, I would say, is never just send it as a PDF to somebody with a diagram and say, here you go, <laughs> go read it. Uh, it's something that you present and explain. Uh, that's yes. the way to do it. Yeah. So communication is not just about documents. Yeah. Documents yeah. are part yeah. of the community. Yeah, you've got to walk people through it. Perfect, perfect. So the LinkedIn user, at least one of them is Indy, probably Indy Mitra, if I'm not wrong. Uh, they said that not in New Zealand is not that bad. It's 9 a.m. there. Nuno <laughs> is following us from Portugal. Right? And LinkedIn user said that I suppose the diagrams are not really the issue. The client doesn't understand that BA mindset needs these inputs to do <laughs> our jobs. And that's the lead for Julia to say, why did you write this book, Business Analyst, <laughs> A Professional and A Mindset? I think that's a perfect question because going back to why I wrote the book, uh, I worked for many years as a business analyst and systems analyst and application analyst and all kinds of different um, related positions, but I met many people with business analyst titles that were afraid to do analysis. They were scared of talking to stakeholders. You know, they would come in and 
they literally didn't know what it means to do analysis. They, they thought they are supposed to document things that someone is going to give them. And, and I've encountered it many times. I ended up mentoring many junior business analysts and I could see the same challenges. We, we don't know how to analyze business, right? That's supposed to be the main part of job. Well, how do you do analysis? Like, what are you supposed to do? So someone gives me a scope or description of the project. Now, what do I do, right? So to me, I think I want, first of all, to go back to kind of the basics and understanding the essence of the job is analysis. It's collecting information and comparing and extracting things and maybe using diagrams and maybe using questions and so on. The other part of it was the mindset part because I was trying to see, well, what makes you successful? How do you reach to those stakeholders? So going back to the recent comment, if the stakeholders, I don't want to look at your diagrams, you know, you just you, you just do it and you want to explain to them that it's important for them to be part of it or that you're developing um, something interesting or you're designing product features or you're, you're going to change the way they do their business so it is in their best interest. So encouraging them and involving them required your people's skills, required that diplomacy and persuasion and, you know, being kind of subtle and leading them in. And it was like being a therapist and teacher and, um, and, and so many things at the same time. And that's where that mindset comes in. How do you engage people in working with you so that they don't just send you a few documents and emails and tell you, here you go. You want them to work with you. So I think that was the second part of it. So some kind of guidelines about how do you, a, engage everyone else to be part of this analysis process, and B, how do you lead this analysis process? You have to ask questions. You have to question things. You have to look into those gaps. You have to, you know, do a state transition diagram or scenario matrix or go and look into the data and verify what they're saying. So I think all of that for me was how to help someone to truly become a business analyst in, in the, the right sense of this word. That's interesting, and, and, and it connects with what Howard just said. It's not just creating documents, it's, it's putting people on it and, and making an understanding. So there's all this humanistic aspect of doing business analysis that's probably harder to teach than, than the techniques or, or, or the specification techniques. Uh, that's why I don't write a lot about what Yulia writes about, because it's a lot harder. Which are techniques, you know, um, but I, I think the very hard part is the soft skills. Um, to be a person who, um, uh, you know, just works well with people, who um, uh, is, who's got, you have to have political skills, so you kind of understand the political undercurrents that are going on in a company. Uh, that's usually a really huge, huge issue because you often have competing interests and competing priorities. Um, uh, just having a, you know, an intuitive, um, uh, just uh, being a person who's just very curious and uh, uh, just really enjoying learning about how different people do their jobs. Um, these are, you know, I guess they're aspects, the soft, the soft skills aspects of the job that are, um, they're hard to teach, hard to teach people. Uh, even just to not be scared to ask stupid questions. You know, like when I asked this question about a product group, I'm sure many people were thinking the same thing, but nobody wanted to ask the question because it was too embarrassing, you know? <laughs> At one time I was in a, a meeting and they used some acronym over and over again and I didn't know what it was. It turned out to be like the whole system that was the name of the thing. So it was hugely embarrassing, but I don't care. I got the right. question out and I didn't have to worry about it anymore, you know? Right. Um, and, I, and I love when we make those questions, those stupid yeah. questions. Yeah. And a lot of people in the room says, Oh, so that is what it is. <laughs> you see that everyone, everybody had the same question, yeah. mind, but nobody. But you know, the, the, the essence of the thing and like the real value, the real, I think the reason why, you know, in agile teams today, uh, even though there's, you know, like in Scrum, there's no official position called the BA, but nevertheless, they have BAs on these teams. Uh, many agile teams in definitely large organizations have somebody called the BA and in smaller ones, uh, they have people doing that work, even though they might not have that title. And we'll maybe get into that a little bit later. Um, but just having somebody who's really comfortable uh, speaking with users and speaking with customers and digging in to find out what it is, what problems they're having with the product, you know, what what do they need? Um, 
it's just not a natural talent that comes with every programmer. And um, if it did, if it did, we probably would never have developed the position called the BA position. Uh, not every not every program comes with that. Explore that deeper because as mm -hmm. we're talking about nowadays, so let's change our perspective from past to present sure. and, and bring a, a formal question for you guys. What's the current state? of business analysis. You are already started answering this question, but I want to, to, to change the focus to Yulia and, and give you the spot a little bit. Yeah. What do you say, Yulia? I would, my first reaction is that the current state of business analysis is a little bit confused because there are so many different changes happening and so many different undercurrents. On one hand, we went through the phase of moving into the version of Agile where we tried to erase the title of business analyst and we had to keep saying, well, if someone still has to do business analysis. And I think we got to the point where we all agree, and I know Fabrizio, we had those discussions, you don't have to be called business analyst to do business analysis, but someone has to do the work. On the other hand, we now everyone is talking about generative AI and how analysts should use generative AI and whether it will replace business analysts or whether a data whether analysts will all be about data and analytics. So I think there is a lot of um, different aspects and we have to figure out what is that core of business analysis that's not going to change. The other interesting, I think, uh, a direction, and maybe you can then comment on it, is that a lot of, if I think back to my early years as business analyst, I think the luckiest, um, the best of luck that I had that I worked on several systems that we developed, like designed and developed from scratch. And, mm. and I was part of the whole thing from figuring out what exactly are we going to do to seeing it go live and seeing someone being happy. I think that modern analysts have less and less of that experience because we have more and more of the shelf products and it's more about configuring and adapting. It's good because it, it's more scalable, but it also is a little bit of kind of a loss because you don't get part to be of that design. So I would say that now is a time where we really need to direct analysis so because analysis and thinking is still needed like generative ai is not going to replace our creative thinking and coming up with new ideas of how to solve old problems and um, i would be curious what you think but i just see so many aspects and they're all together they make a bit of a chaotic system yes yeah uh, i'll bring you my perspective but i want to hear uh, howard first so I won't influence him, but but I, I promise <laughs> I bring my perspective as well. Just to say that I see somebody is asking about how to get books and others from books, and we are going to talk about that at the end. So at the end of this video, stay until the end, so Howard can say where you can find his books. Julia can say where you can find her books, and, and, and so keep keep with us until the end of this show. <laughs> uh, Howard. Yes. Uh, what's your perspective on that? Do you see that things are changing so so much mm -hmm. and, and the mm -hmm. role is not very clear anymore? Mm -hmm. There are different mm -hmm. aspects and there is AI entering this field and, mm -hmm. and, and it's mixing with the head of everyone. How are yeah. you seeing the current state of business analysis? Oh boy, well, there's like so many angles to look at this from uh, where to start. Um, in terms of AI, um, I don't think anybody really knows where this is going yet so it's it's we're really kind of talking out of our asses right now on this one <laughs> um i don't see it uh, uh threatening the ba job um uh because when i think of what bas do for example if you've got a you know you've got a, um, a current product and you're looking for improvements in the product somebody has to go around and actually talk with real users um uh, and and you know uh, be with them at their place of work and and see what kind of problems they're having and and uh, uh, and it's sort of a, it's deep conversations and I find out where the need is. I don't see how that's going to happen. How that can be in, entirely replaced by by AI. Um, in terms of buying a product, you know, uh, uh, an off-the-shelf product and getting all the detailed requirements that you need to have satisfied by that product. Again, it's going to have to be somebody who understands your company to know which product is going to actually fit. So I don't see it's disappearing. Um, in terms of, uh, because of that anyway, uh, 
agile is another threat. Let's so that's that's sort of the AI side of it. In terms of the agile, that was perceived as a threat uh, when it first came out. I mentioned this through 2013 date because it was really seared in my mind. I had a number of clients then. Um, uh, Telus was one. There was uh, uh, Statoil, um, no longer called that anymore, the petroleum company. Uh, and uh, other clients that I was having then who were doing wholesale enterprise-wide changes to Agile. And the first question that they asked me back then was, do I still need my BAs? Like, you know, um, should I fire them? Uh, like, Howard, I've got all these BAs here. What am I supposed to do with them? <laughs> they tell me that in Agile, you don't have BAs. So that was a real thing that I was hearing in a lot of places. Um, years later, I can say that most of these places, you know, still have their business analysts. So they've still been, been proven, you know, to be strong. Uh, where I would say the worry is, if you're a BA and you're thinking about the future, um, I see that in the future, I don't see this changing, the need for business analysts changing in large government organizations or in insurance companies and finance, uh, you know, like banks. The people who have always had BAs are these large organizations, and I think they're still going to have them. Where there is a maybe at least a point of concern is in new technology. Um, that the job business analyst is almost unheard of in a lot of companies who are in new tech. Um, that should be a concern of people like the IIBA, uh, you know, who make their money on BA certification. Um, to me, is it a concern? Not so much uh, because these places are still doing business analysis. They just may not call the person who's doing it a business analyst. So if they're a smaller company, uh, that person might be called a product manager, and it's part of their job as a product manager to to do this work. Uh, or if it's the more detailed engagement, you know, with the development team that BAs normally do as well, the more more in, inward facing BAs, that might be done by somebody who is uh, also a development manager and does this as also part of their job, or somebody that they call a proxy product owner. So I see the role shifting around in those companies, but there's always still a need in those companies for somebody to um do some deep thinking about you know what the user's needs really are but the role itself the role name in those companies may not be ba and we do have to be prepared for that that being a change yeah well i i would say i agree with howard uh, 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 when you talk about the role as you already have so, uh, have said the role may change names or, or, or different people may be doing business analysis some linkedin a user said, I think anyone asking the question, do I still need BAs has been promoted way too far. They oh, yeah. the wrong that, person that asking the wrong that person was promoted so so far that they were the director of um, of uh, business transformation for a very large telecom company. So. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the question, do I still need BAs? I, uh, and I mean business analysts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is a valid question depending yeah. on the organization they may have other names so mm -hmm. uh, do i need this role but do i still business analysis that's a stupid question of course you need yeah because business analysis ever... always have to be done We're someone have to understand need. the needs right? right someone have to evaluate different alternatives and and, and recommend a solution and helping mm -hmm. people to understand that who is doing that i would say that having someone designed to this this role is a really good strategy because there's someone that don't, does not have to take care of a lot of other things like managing projects, developing software and, and running the business, exactly. managing uh, stuff. So they can focus on that. So this is a very good strategy, but it's not the only one. For yeah. and I mean, small it, companies, it, it, they, they don't have, have yeah. the opportunity to have someone just for this role. They may have someone doing a lot of stuff, but they still have to do business analysis mm -hmm. i mean you know it depends on size of company of course like in a small company you're less likely to have somebody dedicated to that role mm -hmm. i'll say in my when i started off in the business and probably was the same for yuli as well uh because you're talking about the time when systems analysts were also bas they didn't have yeah. separate names we did all that stuff um uh, that's still the case in one form or another in smaller companies as well um I'd say it's a lot more fun. I, I actually really enjoyed that. <laughs> I love working that way because you get to see the whole thing. You get to talk with the users, find out what they need, and then you start to build it. You know, together with the team, you're actually building. I mean, what's what's more exciting than that? Um, you know, but in a in a large organization, it's not possible. There's just too much 
involved to be able to do that. And also, there just aren't a lot of people who are good at the whole life cycle. Sure. Uh, and I wouldn't want to cut them out. I wouldn't want to cut out BAs who are really, really good at talking to the business just because they're not great coders. Who cares, you know? Yeah. Um, it's nice for them to have a good idea about what coding is about, but they don't have to be fantastic coders. And I don't want to not have amazing coders just because they're. I would never want to put them in front of a stakeholder. And there, there are a lot of amazing coders that you would never put in front of a customer, but you still want to have them around because they do the they do the really good stuff in the company, the good coding. And you know, other thing that I have seen hard in some really big organizations is that the BA role is in a small company it may be too specialized for them in a big company it's it may be too generic because they have expert pas running business case or they have expert pas running uh, user experience or they may have expert pas doing uh, uh, business intelligence analyzing data and trying to, to specialize in that so and high-level business business BAs and lower-level IT BAs and you know, different uh, flavors of BAs and, and business systems analysts. You know that one too, Julia, right? They, and, they and, and, and that's something very typical from our time, as Julia was saying that uh, today we are passing through a, a very big change. We are becoming more and more. Um, I see that. Uh, I would like to see if you agree with me. More and more. Uh, uh, individually different from each other. So uh, it's harder to have a role that's exactly the same in every company. Mm -hmm. uh, as it's hard to have anything that's exactly the same in everyone. So if I take my cell phone, uh, uh, you, if you take my cell phone and try to use it, you, you can find the apps because it's customized for me. Uh, I take my wife's uh, uh, cell phone and even if it's the same brand, uh, I just can't use it because it's customized for her. So we are living a time where people are very different and there is so much personalization that it uh, is also happening in, in professionals. So the profession is becoming yeah. very more mm -hmm. uh, uh, specific. So I have my set of skills and that makes me a very different professional. I don't know. I, I like business analysis and I like theater. And that makes me a, a, a different animal that have position for me and I can use my skills and, and, and propose mm -hmm, And that mm -hmm. does not really needs to be a, a position that having a lot of organizations with the same name. So Right. So what you're saying, Fabrizio, really is that combined skills, combining BA with other skills is a very powerful thing. It's very individual. I agree 100% with that. Sorry, go ahead. Julie. It goes back to how you manage your organizations. What you're talking about is really leadership and managing your talent, your resources in the best possible way, because all organizations are different. They'll be competing in different ways. They'll have different internal situations. So this is where the managers of those lead uh, business analysts and other specialists and professionals come in to figure out how they want to run their teams and what makes sense and whether it makes sense to combine roles or have a business analyst embedded with business or embedded with analytics team. I think this, we also have to touch on it because we don't want a business analyst struggle alone, identify themselves. They are the asset of the organization. So those you know, middle managers and executives want to think how to create environment for them when they are productive and then use them the right way that fits into their organizations. And, and from that perspective, we teach them the skills, we give them the professional, you know, techniques, but they will all apply them differently. And that's great, right? Because there will be more versatility and they'll think more, they'll, they'll be smarter and the organizations will be smarter. Maybe they'll have more good products <laughs> as consumers. Yeah, I think that um, I, I haven't followed this very carefully with the IBA most recently, but I remember that they there was sort of a, a move to kind of change things so that instead of having um you know many many versions of the babak for example every time you know there's some little wrinkle that's added to the profession uh instead you have the idea of there's sort of a basic level of knowledge for business analysts and then the idea of having badges you know sort of that you get a badge because you're a, you have a specialty in let's say business data analytics right or you've got a specialty in something else like that um i think that's maybe the way to think about it i think it's, it's a good idea about how to think about it yeah. 
Yeah. So it, it's a kind of T-shaped uh, professional. So you have mm -hmm. the basics of business analysis. You can understand business. You can understand the, the core concepts of business analysis. Yeah, some right. common techniques that are good, or, you know, right across the board. And you can and specialize yourself in cybersecurity, data analytics, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, 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 or product ownership. Yeah, and I yeah, have these yeah. specialized certifications for someone who is uh, uh, who is targeting their career into a specific. Uh, yeah, because there's just so much you can't have everybody know all of that. So I think the idea of this basic, you know, have a base knowledge and then have specialties makes a lot of sense. Interesting. About artificial intelligence, there are some in, uh, interesting comments here. So uh, the LinkedIn user said that generative AI is a computer. It doesn't have the mindset, the human personality. It's a tool or technique, not a mindset. I totally agree. Heicho uh, said, I think AI will assist us and make us work, our world work go more quickly. I totally agree with Rachel. And we could say that the way someone works in a farm today is very different from the way they worked hundreds of, of, of years ago. So today we have tractors, we have a lot of uh, uh, machines, we have technology. Mm -hmm. So the way we use it to work in a farm is different than the way we use today. But we still have farmers. Yes. Right? But the farmers today are using yeah. those tools. So, I'm still waiting, though. I, you know, when, I mean, I guess I have some, uh, being in this business for many years, and you, I'd like to hear your perspective on this too. Years and years ago, uh, I can, 1990s. All right, I, I, um, I learned a system that you gave it a whole bunch of parameters, and it would, it would spit out for you a software system of almost any kind you wanted, and almost any. Uh, um operating system you wanted any environment i mean it was really an amazing thing right nobody used it um then uh sometime after that rational rose came around when i was working with julia's group uh and the idea there was that this is a case tool right a computer-aided software engineering tool you just uh do a few diagrams a little tweak here or there or there and it'll write the whole software for you again people use these tools but they didn't use them that way in the end they didn't actually there was very little actual building of software automatically actually happening so today we have the same promise now that you can just put in a prompt to ai and it will not only write you the requirements for the system but maybe even write you an entire system as well um maybe uh i'm still waiting for that to happen in all of these cases these products did what they said they did but they didn't do them perfectly enough they didn't do them perfectly enough so that humans then had to intervene. And once humans started to intervene in the code, the whole automated thing just went away. And was supposed to be, you know, a round trip uh, engineering and you, you, you were supposed to be able to make your own changes and have it go back into the automated system. It never did. It never did. So that's why I'm not sure. I'm holding my breath. I would love to see it happen. I think it'd be really interesting for humanity. But so far, we're not there yet. Uh, that, 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 that brings us to the next question. Uh, I put it on you earlier because how do you project the future of the business analyst profession? I would say that automation and, and, and artificial intelligence is part of this question, but it's broader, right? So the question is not just about the usage of artificial intelligence, but it's, it's hard not to mention artificial intelligence when talking about the future of anything today because we are in this moment of reviewing the way we do stuff and how can we use artificial intelligence what's going to be the impact of artificial intelligence i would like to know about the business analysts for those guys for for who you guys wrote books and were trying to to, to teach this stuff are these books still going to be useful for people in the future how do you see and i will start with you on that how do you project the future of the business analyst profession? All right. So first of all, the mindset that you have been developing all these years, hang on to it because you're going to need it. It's always going to be useful because, and I agree, um, artificial intelligence doesn't have the mindset. And going back to one of the roles of business analysts when they are embedded in the business is to help their stakeholders and educate their stakeholders on 
capabilities of technology because it helps you define better requirements. So just, a, I guess, a reminder that AI is not really intelligent. It's rehashing and retelling and regurgitating the information that was fed to train the algorithm. So it will tell you all the things that you could find from other resources. So it's great to research. It's great to kind of enhance your Google searching, but it's not going to come up with creative ideas. This is where you come in, right? If you um, need to help, you need to think and you need to think new thoughts and AI does not think new thoughts. So I think that for business analysts and for anyone else, I mean, it's not just for us, artificial intelligence is a tool to gather information, to maybe write stuff for you if your grammar is struggling, but it's not going to come up with a different way of solving a business problem that was never thought before. I, at least I haven't seen it yet and I would love to see an example of that if that was happening because all of those tools and, and over those that you mentioned, they follow a predefined set of rules. So there will be a limited number of potential permutations of what those tools can produce, right? Because there's only so many combinations. It reminds me how I was in university, I was trying to write, if anyone old enough remember Lisp language, which was a logical language yeah. 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 40 yeah. years ago, I was yeah. trying to write an yeah. algorithm to find how um, a knight follows all of the um, uh, you know cells on a chessboard without stepping into any of them twice. And it, it's it's a very difficult task, but it's all limited to, to the number of permutations, but that's not what real life is about. The other part of it, and again, the other part of the mindset is that human communication and language and engaging people, because you know what, the reason business analysts have jobs is because we have problems in business and those problems are created by people, right? Either we didn't agree on something early on, or we created defects, or we didn't create a good product. So we're solving problems created by people. And people who work on projects and on solving those problems and adopting those solutions, they're all imperfect human beings with their biases and emotions and, and God feels and all of that. And it, it's like politics, it's like teaching kids, it's like engaging someone to do, like Tom Sawyer engaging everyone else to, you know, to paint um, the, uh, you know, the board because he didn't want to do it. Those aspects are going to be there and we have to become more of trusted advisors to, to business, right? On capabilities of technology, whether it's AI or analytics or whether it's, you know, the new COTS tools or workflows, and help them to adopt them. But the thinking and, and figuring out what your customers want, and a, a lot of that is still will have a creative element that we cannot um, replace yet with AI. I mean, we are not there yet. And I know that a lot of very smart people are trying to build general AI, but guess what? We are still in that very narrow range of training on what people, uh, people created and human beings created, right? We are using what, what everybody came up with before. So I think that just on AI, but future I think is all about thinking and taking responsibility for thinking, taking responsibility for analysis and for using the right tools for the right jobs. Great, I like this, this idea of the future is about taking responsibility. Uh, accountability for for results for business outcomes that's an interesting idea uh, about ai there are some comments here that i want to share so uh even said i love that ai can be a quick prompt for us to think broader consider new things new things we haven't been exposed to so uh it may connect with different stuff that we are not seeing and give us some perspectives that we are not able to see by ourselves, so AI can be used as a tool. As you just said, when we talk, of, uh, uh, call it intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence, the name intelligence may be tricky here because it may think as of AI as a person. It, it's not a person, it's a thing. It's, it, it's not someone, it's something. So AI is a tool that we may use. A general, general AI is not there yet, it may be very use, useful. So a LinkedIn user said that 
I actually disagree a bit. Mm -hmm. I agree. And AI can come up with different yeah. ways to solve problems that have never been tried before. And that's true because sometimes AI is not just bringing what happened before, but it's making connections and, and creating I, I, something I, that I agree wasn't with that. there. Yeah, and, 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 and maybe that's why we are calling it. Mm -hmm. I think to be careful. It's hard to say what AI you know will or will not be able to do um, because we're not fully there yet. Um, I, I think in the past, in the previous versions even of ChatGPT, it, it was possible to say yes, it's just recombining things that are that are there, but it's not true anymore. It's uh, it is becoming intelligent, intelligent. Um, there are problems that it's like I've read of some weird problem that it could solve all sorts of unusual problems that don't exist anywhere on the internet. Like, you know, you have a, uh, you got a ball, you have a book and you have a, I don't know, a couple of other items and you have to make a, a tower that's so, you know, so big high, how would you actually put them all on top of each other? And it'll figure it out. But in order to figure it out, like it has to understand that, a sphere is actually around and what the physical properties are and how flat things behave and how gravity works on those things. And in other words, it has to have almost like a mental model of the world. So I, I don't know. Uh, that's why I'm hesitant to say, you know, you know, what will it be able to do? But um, I, I think that there are things that it just aren't, isn't going to be able to do. And I think Yulia has really pointed them out. It's, it's all the human stuff, you know? So for example, um, you know, where I see like BAs in the future, I see them, you know, like this team I was talking about uh, that drives around with this Uber-like product. Uh, you've got small teams of uh, a developer, product manager, you know, this and that. And one of those people is someone who's really, really good at talking to customers. And they're driving around in this particular case with, uh, uh, you know, with with uh, ride share drivers and and with and they're spending time with dispatchers and they're at they're talking to them and they're finding what are your frustrations in the job what things work well for you and and out of that you know they're really they, they're trying to figure out what the requirements actually are and i think that is going to be a hard thing i think you can get a lot of help with ai because ai can look at patterns and see where difficulties are and where there are bottlenecks but you do need the human thing um and the other side of it is i think that we're always going to need vas especially in the agile you know context today um, BAs are spending a lot of their time really in this negotiation, you know, what's sometimes called the three amigos meetings or uh, where it's about how can we extract the highest value right now, you know, in the work that is about to be done for the least amount of the least amount of cost, right? The least amount of work. Um, how can we maximize that value at every time? And that involves a lot of conversations, uh, a lot of um uh, a lot of back and forth about well you know where are the most difficult you know aspects of the development uh what could we maybe do in another way that would give us the same effect without costing us as much development time those kind of discussions about maximizing value are something that really are very human and require people and i see that our skills as bas help us very much to, to put people together and get an understanding so yeah and have that conversation <laughs> Yes, make that conversation, illustrate that so we put start the developers to talk in the room. Put the stakeholders in the room, you know, put the testers in the room. Let's all have a discussion about how we can get the maximum value out of the next piece of work. Whatever are the roles in the future, someone has to put all those roles in the room and make them find an agreement yes. about what, what do we have to deliver, what's important for our company, how can we solve our business problems or how to get to our goals, strategic goals and connect those those execution with the, 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 the strategy. How can we do that? And that's business analysis. Someone has to do that. If they're called business analysts, I, doesn't, I don't care, I really don't care. They're doing business analysis, whoever they are. It's easier to call them business analysts because that's what they do. Good strategy and have someone doing that in the future. Oh, good. We're almost ending. We have just five extra minutes to end our session. But before ending, I would like to raise your question that appeared some time ago here about books. How can I find a book? How can I find Yulia? How can I find Howard? What are you guys doing? How can people connect with you? Uh, could you start with that, Howard? Sure. Uh, in terms of books, go to Amazon. That's the best best uh, place to find them. Uh, in terms of what I'm doing, uh, 
follow me on LinkedIn. I'm just uh, Howard Pedeswa. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and I've got uh, courses and webinars uh, about all the stuff that I write about. Uh, and we do we also in-house training. Uh, so just if you follow me on LinkedIn, when I'm doing a public event, you'll hear about it. Uh, and you can also just get in touch with me through LinkedIn if there's any in-house training and coaching that you need as well. Perfect. Uh, and Yulia, how about you? So pretty much uh, similar in terms of books. My book is on Amazon and, you know, Google, Kobo, um, Apple Books on all the platforms. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on my website, y-change.com. And if you're interested, we run a weekly mindset uh, meetup where we talk about business analysis challenges and we do case studies and we develop our business analysis skills with a group of business analysts. So you can find all the information on LinkedIn, on YouTube, and everywhere where you get your news. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> and, and is there, uh, just to end, is there any point that you guys wanted to mention, but we didn't have time to cover it, but it, oh, this is an important message and I, I could not leave without uh, uh, getting this message to the audience about past, future, or present of business analysis? Sure. If I can start, uh, the, the outcome of business analysis is not requirements document, is not the backlog, even though they are important. I think the biggest value of business analysis is to create a shared understanding of requirements. So your business stakeholders, your development team, your create team, make sure that they all agree because whatever is written in requirements does not mean that everyone interprets it the same way. So it's all about understanding and communication. Perfect. Perfect. That's what we are talking about, communication, having everybody together in the same place and, and get them to, to, to understand and have a shared communication. Perfect. Howard? Uh, I agree with that. And I just would add and on top of what Yulia said, it's also to work closely with the team to maximize the value of the work that they were doing at all times so that it always is going to be to the maximum benefit to the business and the stakeholders perfect that that's a good one so maximize value i want to build on both of you so uh, uh, having a shared understanding maximize value but looking for this value not just for your customer not just for shareholders but i believe in the future we are much more concerned about all stakeholders include the environment Uh, uh, the families of our employees are, are, are trying to be uh, more broad in the sense of which stakeholders are we bringing value to. So we should have a, a, a put every, a stake of every stakeholder in our initiatives to understand value from a broader perspective and try to maximize value. So important. So many mistakes have been made by not taking that perspective. So, yeah, good, good thing that you mentioned that. Yeah. Perfect. So, the... There's a question for you, Yulia. What's your website address again? Y-change.com. Y-change.com. It's easy. It's easy. Yeah. One. That's why, why do you want to change? Why change? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Ours is noblelink.ca. N-O-B-L-E-I-N-C.ca. And just one little plug, we'll have a story mapping course coming up soon and a product ownership analysis course coming up. Check on LinkedIn. You'll hear all about it. All right. Thank you both for coming here. It was an honor to have you as my guests today. Thank you know, you. I, I, I have been doing this uh, Brazilian BA guest for a while, but it was never uh, live. So today we have we have it live. I, 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 I'm thinking about changing it to make it live. Okay. Uh, the, the, the point is... There's no Portuguese subtitles uh, available right now because it's live. <laughs> But it's very easier for me to do this. I may, I may be repeating this. <laughs> Thanks for doing it. And Yulia, great to see you again. Um, you were like a bright light. I remember you from so many years ago because you were one of the brighter people that I've worked with over the years. Uh, so it feels like a bit of a reunion too now. I know. Thank you. It's thank great you. to reconnect and great to connect yeah. with everyone on LinkedIn, as always. Yeah. All right. And thank you for everyone who joined us and sent your questions and participated. It was a pleasure to have you here. See you again in our next The Brazilian VA guest episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bye, -bye folks. Bye. <laughs>